you are Locked On Braves, your daily Atlanta Braves podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Locked On Braves, your home for daily Braves updates found on the Locked On Podcast Network, found where all your favorite podcasts may be located, whether that be Google Podcast Store, Apple Podcast Store, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, whatever you like to listen to, the brand new Himalaya app, Perchance, which we are a partner of. The Locked On Podcast Network is found where all of your favorite podcasts are, and now also on any smart device, you can just tell a smart device, whether it's in your car, in your home, to play me. Say, hey, play Locked On Braves. And there it is. Very easy to find. You can subscribe so you get messages as soon as a new show gets put up every day. Whatever it is, you can leave comments. Let us know. Here at the Locked On Braves, though, we like to focus on the Atlanta Braves. And today is a big day for a multitude of reasons. It is the day of the MLB draft. It will be starting at 7 o'clock. So in the second half of this show... I am very happy to announce that I'll be bringing on my first guest for the Locked On Braves podcast, and it is a very good friend of mine, a very, very intelligent Braves fan who knows more about the draft than just about anybody else around. I'm not going to spoil the surprise. You'll you'll recognize his name when you hear him. Uh, that'll be coming up in the second half. But before we get to all the fun draft segment stuff, there's a couple things that we got to break down. So... The Braves take two out of three from the Tigers over the weekend. That's a good thing, too. Things did not start off on the right foot, though, as Mike Fultonevich got absolutely obliterated, uh, gave up five runs in seven innings, had uh, eight strikeouts and no walks, but the Tigers, as a club, are a team that strikes out a ton and doesn't walk a whole lot. So while I like seeing the strikeouts, it continues a trend for Fulte of of what has not been a stellar start to the season. Uh, Freddie Freeman, before that, before that game had started had mentioned that since Mike had missed all of spring training that he was still trying to uh, still trying to get up to speed I guess uh, but that was not to be against the Tigers as Nico Goodrum uh, apparently turned into Barry Bonds for a weekend and was absolutely enjoying his return to his home state that set off a trend that was the first time the Braves had lost three straight remember they got swept by the Nationals in that two game set that was the first time the Braves had lost three games in a row since uh, May the 6th 7th 8th and 9th as a matter of fact when they got swept by the Dodgers and then dropped that first game to Arizona um, luckily the Braves turned to Mike Soroka to stem the tide on Saturday and Mike did just that it was what was particularly impressive about Soroka is he didn't really have his best stuff that day Looked like he was fighting himself for, for most of the outing. But he went out there and battled, went six and two-thirds, uh, seven hits. Seven hits were, were kind of a lot. He was, like I said, didn't really have all of his best stuff, wasn't locating his off-speed really particularly well, wasn't particularly sharp. But if these are your numbers when you're not sharp, I'll take them every day. Six and two-thirds, seven hits, three earned runs, no walks, five strikeouts as the Braves beat Daniel Norris. The good thing about that is the bullpen came in. Jacob Webb did give up a run, but aside from that, the bullpen itself was, was pretty good as the Braves won that game 10-5. to Soroka, that's six straight wins for him. Uh, he, they took him out right at 100 pitches. 
And, and it's good to see that Snicker had the faith in Soroka to take him out. And a lot of instances, if a guy's been struggling against himself, fighting against himself all game, he doesn't really seem to have it. A lot of times you'll see them get the hook when, when, they're bad, when their spot in the order is up due next to the bottom of that inning. Uh, looked like Soroka talked to Snit, said he, was, he wanted to go back out there. Snit showed faith in the young guy to put him back out there and was rewarded. Um, Mike Soroka has quickly, quickly put his name in the hat of lockdown number ones in baseball. I don't know that I'll call him an ace yet because it is six starts. It's not really something that I can call an ace yet, but there are definitely, definitely indicators that what you're seeing from Mike Soroka is here to stay. And he just does such a good job of minimizing damage. And I've talked about this before. He's really, he's unflappable. You can't really tell if he's in trouble or not just based on his demeanor. He, he's very reserved, which is an important thing for most pitchers. Some, some guys pitch better um, the more emotional they get. I tend to think that that's not always the best way to go about it because when you get emotionally high and emotionally low, there is a large chance for adrenaline dumps in which you'll you'll kind of come back down and, and crash, similar to like a, a sugar high crash or, or even a caffeine crash, for those of you that are coffee addicts like I am. Um, but Soroka doesn't seem to have any of that. He's, he's always got this poise going on. Um, he, he's always got a plan B and a plan C, and he knows that just based on the movement of his particular stuff, he can throw pitches that are, are designed to have hitters hit the ball and make contact, and he can still find a way out of them. So it's good to see Soroka continuing to carry that onward. And then in Sunday's start, you had Julio Tehran matched up against Matthew Boyd. And I talked about Boyd on Friday, I believe it was, about Boyd as a guy that I'm really interested in seeing uh, what the price would be at the trade deadline. Now, it would take a couple things. The Tigers would have to be willing to deal, and it would be expensive because Boyd does still have three years of control. But the Braves did a good job against Boyd. He only lasted five innings, gave up five hits, three earned runs. I believe he gave up a home run as well. I think it was a a home run by Dansby that did him in, a two-run shot. And Dansby had himself a whale of a day on Sunday, which we'll talk to in just a second. But Boyd did end up with, uh, with nine strikeouts, which kind of lets you know what Matthew Boyd can do. Uh, when his slider's on, he's wiping dudes out. And Julio. Julio didn't start off. It looked a little rocky to start. Again, another one didn't look like he had uh, his absolute best out there. Uh, did walk three people in his five innings. Only gave up four hits. Struck out six. So the walks are certainly not something you want to see. Now with Julio, you got to take him with a grain of salt because a lot of Julio's pitches are, are going to be off the plate. There are a lot of guys that Julio will work around, particularly left-handed batters um, that he'll end up walking because he's not going, he doesn't really have a pitch that he can just say is a uh, a get-it-over pitch because he doesn't have the velocity to just ramp up and throw a bad pitch. So walks for him can be a, a way to minimize overall damage. And he hasn't really been giving up the home run ball this year all that often. So for Julio, what an outstanding month of May it was for him. An ERA under one was a, a, a really, really needed May for Julio as he really put – we know about Freed, we know about Soroka, but Julio was a, a really pleasant surprise for the month of May and helped stabilize the rotation, especially with Fulte not being himself and Gosman being so up and down. But the most important thing is they got to win and no runs for Julio, despite the fact that there were base runners on pretty much constantly throughout the day. Uh, didn't give up any runs. The bullpen that day was really good until Jacob Webb, who gave up two home runs in his two-thirds of an inning. But aside from that, uh, the Braves did a, a good job there. Now, the Tigers aren't a good team at all, but for whatever reason in this series, the Tigers' bats came alive. So it was good for the Braves to be able to mount some offense of their own. And granted, the Tigers don't have the best starting rotation or the best bullpen in the league. 
but neither do the Nationals, and we saw what happened in that National Series. So good to see the Bats get some life as they have an off day today as they head to Pittsburgh to take on the Pirates uh, in a three-game set, I believe it is. And then tomorrow, uh, for your matchup tomorrow, should be... Your matchup tomorrow will be Max Freed taking on Stephen Brault. Interested to see Max Freed. He hasn't had uh, the, the last two times out. He struggled to get in, get through the fifth. He's kind of worn down in that fifth inning. So I'm, I'm anxious to see what he looks like tomorrow. Um, maybe it won't be as hot in Pittsburgh. We'll see how it goes. We'll see if the Braves take it a little bit easy on him. Either way, I'm still looking for a really good start for Max Freed. You guys know what I love about Max Freed. I'm sure we'll talk about him more on Wednesday. But for the time being, we're going to take our first break of the show. When we come back, we will have my first guest on the Locked on Braves podcast as we get ready to break down tonight's upcoming MLB draft. Stick around. All right, guys, it's time to talk about that thing that no man really wants to talk about. I'm talking about erectile dysfunction. If you're having a little bit of problem in the bedroom, it can be extremely difficult to go talk about it with a doctor. Well, my friends at BlueChew.com have solved that problem. Blue Chew is the first chewable pill that has the same FDA-approved ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you can take it with the confidence necessary to know that it's going to work. And because it's chewable, it works twice as fast as one of these over-the-counter pills, so you don't have to sacrifice the spontaneity to plan around your, your sex nights. Guess what, guys? Blue Chew is not just for men with ED. So if you're just another guy that, that's looking to up your performance a little bit, if you're a guy that's looking to set up for round two, Blue Chew has you covered there. A lot of guys talk the talk. It's time for you to walk the walk. BlueChew.com is the perfect place to go. It's mailed discreetly to your door. It's an online prescription, so no more having to go to that pharmacist and having that awkward conversation where she goes and hands you the pill, and you both know what it is. Neither one of you wants to meet each other in the eye. BlueChew.com has taken care of that with a discreet delivery service. Go to BlueChew.com and use our promo code MLB, and they're going to give you your first shipment for free. All you got to do is pay $5 for the shipping and handling, and they're going to give you that first supply for free. Go to BlueChew.com, use the promo code MLB. All right, everybody, welcome back. Like I mentioned before the break, we have our first guest ever for Locked On Braves, and it is none other than my esteemed co-host on the Platinum Sombrero and MLB Draft Savant, Doc Herbert. Doc, how does it feel to have to put up with me on two shows in the same week? Oh, it's a, it's an honor, and uh, and I might also say it's an honor to be the first guest you've ever had on here. Thank you for for having me on, buddy. I appreciate it. I mean, you knew we had to do it. It's draft day. Is this is like Christmas for you? Oh my God, I'm I'm so excited, and I, there's been so much reading and updating, and I've been just obsessively following this for so long that today is the day. You know, we're gonna add three prospects to the system today, and a, and a couple more over the next two days. So this this really is about as exciting as as baseball gets for me. Now, for those of you that are locked on fans that aren't necessarily keyed into like the MLB draft as much. We're going to talk a little bit. We're going to talk about the guys at 9 and 21, uh, obviously, because those are the ones that everybody who's, who's really going to highlight. Uh, but we're going to focus a little bit more on pick number 60 and why that's such an important pick. Remember, pick number 60 is the reason why the Braves didn't sign Craig Kimbrell. If they had signed Kimbrell in the offseason or any time up until uh, midnight this morning, 
they would have lost uh, the number 60 pick and the money that goes along with it, which there's some real reasons when you look at this class why that would have been a bad idea. So before we get too deep into that, uh, picks number pick number nine, we're going to say, let, let's just say a couple people apiece. Um, I'm going to throw out the one that's probably the most common, um, the guy that most people may have heard of already, Hunter Bishop, the outfielder out of Arizona State. When you look at Hunter Bishop's line, when he started the season, at one point when you and I talked about it on TPS, Hunter Bishop had an OPS of like 1,400. Yeah, and he's, he's doing this against good competition, too. He was a very, very tooled-up player coming out, of, uh, coming out of high school, but he didn't quite have the feel for it. And he's finally been able to, to turn it into production this year. And he's, he's tailed off a little bit, but he's still got just limitless potential. So he would be a really, really good option at nine. And he's a guy that's uh, 6'5", 215. He plays center field at Arizona State, but he's a corner guy all day. The fun thing about him and what's going to make everybody drool is if you put him side-by-side side with Christian Yelich, it's the exact same swing. He's a double-plus power. He's a double-plus speed. And he's got a, a, a good arm, too. I don't know if I'd call it plus, but it's definitely above average. And he was a football player in high school as well. So he's not just a baseball player. He's got that athlete's body. And you know how... Even with changes in the front office and in the scouting department, uh, more often than not, you're going to see scouting departments gamble on the athlete instead of somebody who's just a baseball player. Especially when that athlete's a guy that has 30 home run type of power. Right, exactly. <laughs> but uh, I think that's a pretty obvious one. Another one, I'm just going to talk about the two college guys. I'm going to let Doc talk about a, a couple of the prep guys. The other one that, that you guys, uh, uh, I don't know if you guys have heard as much, but it, it's the consensus number one college pitcher, Nick Lodolo. Now, there's a real chance that Lodolo doesn't slip past Cincinnati at seven unless something crazy happens. But we know, Doc and I know for a fact that the Braves were in on Lodolo last year. They were already doing scouting on him. Uh, when we talked to Brian Bridges on the Platinum Sombrero, that's the one player he name-dropped for this season. Uh, Lodolo's a lefty, uh, long and lanky, about 6'6", probably probably about 190, maybe 200 pounds. Um, works works 90 to 93 but tops out about 96 uh has the makings of a plus changeup which is a rare thing from lefties these days as well as an above average slider yeah that changeup is uh is nasty and you hear a lot about the first the first six picks kind of being locked in but really it's it's kind of the first seven because Lodolo has got a, a lot of smoke going to Cincinnati but it's, it gets a little bit less certain the, the farther you get away from that top six. So Lodolo really could be – he could be an option at nine. And you've seen what this organization can do with pitchers. They, they love them, lefty, righty, prep college, whatever. So him being the top one on the board, don't be surprised if his name gets called. All right, give me, give me two high school guys that are real possibilities at nine, not guys that maybe have an offset. Who would you say are the two most likely prep guys at nine? Well, as far as position players go, I mean, Corbin Carroll is an outfielder out of Washington State, and I, I think that he's, I think that there's really something there. He's got elite field to hit. Uh, the comps to Andrew Benintendi and Jacoby Ellsbury are, are there, but I don't know if, if he quite fits either of those because uh, Ellsbury now is, is not too special because he's, he's not really playing. But Benintendi's really a lofty one, but he's a quote unquote smaller guy, but he's also still only 18, so there's room to grow there. Elite, elite hitter, really fast, solid in, in the outfield. And this is kind of right in his range as well. <clears throat> uh, beyond that, I like a prep right-hander named Matthew Allen, but I think it might be reaching down a little bit for him as far as nine goes. 
as as far as high school guys, I think Carroll might be the only true option um, as, as far as high school guys go at nine. Now, 21, that's a different story. And speaking of 21, we're going to get right to that. But one one thing on Carroll, I really hesitate to uh, to throw lofty comps on guys where you're saying they're more the sum of their parts than any one tool. Uh, when you talk about a Benintendi comp, Benintendi is such a rare player. Is a guy that plays as well as he does without really having a standout tool. You can talk about bat-to-ball skills, but bat-to-ball contact skills are not the same thing as a hit tool. So I'm not saying anything bad about Corbin Carroll. I like the player. I would love the pick as well. I'm just saying be very careful, folks, if you if you see Corbin Carroll go, oh, yeah, he's going to be Andrew Benintendi. More times than not, a player who's who doesn't have a standout tool, who's 50 to 55 all around, most of the time, those guys don't end up as full-time starters. And and we've had this this talk with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo and I think even Carlos Colazzo. These guys don't really like putting comps on guys because a lot of the time they have to be kind of crude and they have to be uh, ill-fitted to these guys. But people people just love saying, oh, this guy's going to be the next Derek Jeter or this guy's going to be the next Chipper Jones or whatever. It's better than saying... Oh, somebody's going to be the next Mike Gallego just because right. it's just because it's accurate. <laughs> right, that's a good name to pull there. Now on to twenty-one. This is where things can get interesting because I believe the twenty-first pick. It's going to hinge on what they do at nine. If they go a high schooler at nine, then I would almost guarantee it'll be a college player at twenty-one. If they go college at twenty at nine, then twenty-one opens up some real slots. And speaking of twenty-one, twenty-one gets some some difficult picks. The way that you get to twenty-one, it's going to depend on what they do at nine. So I'm feeling if they go if they go college at, at nine, then you're probably going to get a prep at twenty-one. But if you go prep at nine, I can almost guarantee it'll be a college. We talked about Greg Jones is a guy that Doc and I have talked about a lot. He's a guy that has a lot of healing. Uh, We talk about Greg Jones. He's a guy that's a true 80 runner. And I'm talking about like Billy Hamilton, Byron Buxton type of fast. This is a dude who's got over 40 steals already. He's actually been caught stealing. I believe he's been caught like 13 times, which seems a little weird, but True top of the scales runner. He's a shortstop right now. Probably not a shortstop in the pros. Most likely he's going to end up getting moved to the outfield, similar to, to D Gordon when the Marlins were or when the Mariners were originally trotting him out in center field. Uh, but but he's got the body type that I love out of players. I'm a big guy on, on these these why I don't even want to say wiry. These guys that are that are not huge. They're about 6'2", 180 to one ninety five. These these dudes have the power potential with the speed potential, in my mind, to be impact guys offensively. Jones is a really, really interesting guy. If you look back at the rankings from the early part of the season, he hasn't really moved much as as far as just from wire to wire, where he was versus where he is. But he had a lot of fluctuation in between because he kind of got off to a rough start and he's really recovered that. He is. You're absolutely right about him being an 80 runner. Uh, he he's still got decent field to hit. He's doing it, doing it at UNCW. So uh, once again, not necessarily elite competition, but you kind of have to take a gamble on, on a guy like this. And in the, his most recent mock, Jonathan Mayo had Jones going to the Braves at 21. So I don't know if that's necessarily because there, there's rumors of a connection or if he's just trying to, to put things together. But that's that's interesting. I can see it absolutely happening. The one thing I'll point out about Jones is I was watching a lot of his tape today, and there is a hitch in his hands from the left side. He's a switch hitter, which chalked that up for like another check mark. I love me some switch hitters. But there is a hitch in his hands uh, from the left side, so I think he'll be a better right-handed hitter than left-handed, assuming, of course, that doesn't get ironed out. Um, but... Another one, I think I might break a rule here. Um, 
You know what? No, I'm, I know which ones you're probably going to pick at 21. So I'm going to say Cody Hosey might be the other college guy. I've seen him mock to the Braves a little bit. I've seen him discuss that that's the area. He's another big pop-up guy. Uh, out of Tulane, which is not the best competition, they're a good school. Um, I, I don't know that I would say they face the best type of competition, but Cody Hosey's just a dude that just hits absolute bombs. Uh, 23 homers this year. believe that ties him for, for the lead in college, if I'm not mistaken. believe it has him tied with uh, with Kyle McCann and I believe Hunter Bishop as well. I believe Hunter Bishop's still sitting on 23. Cody Hosey, uh, put together, dude, real thick body. Not really, not especially big, but kind of reminds me, he's not the same size, but kind of reminds me of CJ Alexander in, in, in his profile. You would also mention Ty France as a comp for him. And I think as far as body type goes, I think that that's pretty good for Hosey, but I think that he's got a little more talent in there. And what you you kind of see something out of him that you see about a, a lot of guys. They, as freshmen, they show up on campus. They're getting minimal playing time because the upperclassmen are getting most of the, most of the time, and they kind of struggle. They start to figure it out a little more in their sophomore year, and then it's just off to the races in the junior year. And that's exactly what's going on uh, with Hosey this year. And I think uh, JJ Bleday is another one that uh, that has like is in that twenty three home run category. Yes. So yes, totally forgot about Bleday. Uh, it just but, seems but weird to me that he hits homers now. Well, and that's really good uh, company to be in. And for the way this draft is structured, you're going to have a lot of different guys that are getting under slot deals. And, and Hosey is a really good option for somebody to do that, save a little bit of money, push some cash down to a later pick. So he could wind up going, he might even go ahead of 21, which you would I would have never believed coming into this season. No, I've seen some buzz that he could go as high as number eight to the Rangers if they're looking to go like super under. Uh, but you've, I'm sure you've got two prep guys that you and I have both talked about numerous times off air uh, and numerous times just in the past couple of days. So 21, what, what high schooler are you projecting there? I've got two that I really like. One is Brennan Malone, a uh, right-handed pitcher out of Florida. He's kind of seen as the, the perfect intersection of current polish and projectability. And he's got velocity. He can touch 96. Uh, he's got good movement on on his pitches. He's he's kind of exactly what you want out of a out of a high school righty. And there's another one who's a little bit more raw. whose name's Quinn Priester. He's a, a righty out of Illinois. Uh, he's sitting in the the low 90s, but he's touched 96. Uh, he kind of taught himself a lot uh, by by imitating pitchers that it, that he he liked. He went on YouTube and tried to mimic their deliveries. It's not dissimilar to Victor Vodnik who um, I personally is a Braves prospect who I have a love affair with. And I know that you're a, you're a big fan of as well. Uh, really self-taught kind of mad scientist type. So I'd be curious to see what he could do with some professional instruction. And Priester's got a pretty good body type for it too. There's a lot of projectability still in him. Victor Vodnik is like five eleven. I believe Priester's like six one six two. Yeah. He, he's got a little bit more size. It makes what Victor is doing that much more impressive because he's just a, just a tiny guy. It's like JB Bacoscus showing up and, and just just showing out every time he goes out. So uh, those, those are my guys at 21. But when when we start looking a little bit farther down, it, it's hard to even predict what's going to happen at 21. So predicting 60 is going to be really hard. But I want to know who you've got your eye on for some of those later picks. 60 is, to me, it's the most interesting part of the draft for the Braves. Everybody knows that with the ninth pick, you're supposed to get somebody really good. 21, you're still in line to get uh, uh, hopefully a really good ball player. There's a lot of great players picked in the 20s, a la Mike Trout, uh, Aaron Judge. But... <clears throat> 
At 60, this is where things get interesting because this is the pick that you would have given up for Craig Kimbrell, along with the money. And the money, I think, is the important aspect because I happen to think that the Braves are going to go with a big overslot here at 60 because we, we've talked about the sanctions before on TPS. I'm not sure if I've really – I've mentioned them a couple times here on Locked On. But with the sanctions, the Braves lost a ton of their third wave of guys. A lot of those young guys they were signing out of um, Cuba and the Dominican, et cetera, et cetera. This could be a spot where they use a lot of that money to get somebody who slots into that next role. Now, whether it's a, a pitcher or a position player – they're really. I'm going to name two of each, uh, and I'm probably going to steal one of the ones that you want to talk about. The first one I'm going to mention is Spencer Jones, and this guy is absolutely massive. He's about six seven, two seventeen ish. Um, I, I can't. Even, I don't even remember where he's out of. Uh, I, believe, I believe he's somewhere around here. He's a Vandy commit. Uh, just a, a big time power potential. He's a, he's a real potential two way player. Like not like Matt Davidson will sometimes throw a slider and and sometimes get some relief work. Not like uh, Caleb Cowart was being worked out as reliever because he couldn't hit. Spencer Jones is a guy that could legitimately be along those Brendan McKay lines. I'm not sure that he's projected to be like Brendan McKay, but along those lines of things where he could conceivably actually do both, especially at Vanderbilt. Jones is yeah he he has the ability to do both. I would almost want want to bet a little bit more on him as a position player, uh, just based on the profile. But his his future is is probably on the mound. But uh, yeah, he's part of that fantastic Vandy recruiting class. So I I can see him being available too. But because he's a Vandy commit, it's the same thing with Jack Leiter and Anthony Volpe, also Vandy commits. They have a big price tag to to be bought out. So this is this puts a premium on what you're doing at nine and twenty one. So you can save some money if you want to sign somebody like Jones. Yeah, that's why if they go under slot at nine, I think that's a real shot because Spencer Jones, I think, would be the most expensive uh, as far as signing. Aside from Jack Leiter, who I'm not even certain somebody's going to waste a first-round pick on Leiter. So if you want to see things get really crazy, if the Braves decide to just blow late bonus and just try to sign Jack Leiter away from Vandy um, – Certainly would be would not be a shock if if nobody risked their first round pick on him. The other one I want to mention is one that you and I talked about before we started. And this guy, he might be my he might be one of my favorites in the draft right now. And he's a total enigma right now. Trey Fletcher, Trajan Trajan Fletcher, Trey Fletcher. Uh, he he is an absolutely sublime athlete. Another one of these 6'2", 185, 190-pounders actually reclassified to go into this class. He's another one of those Vandy commits, by the way. Um, just a, a phenomenal-looking athlete. A, a, I'm, he's not an 80-speed, but he's about a 70-speed type of guy. Huge arms, a guy that can touch 95 when he's on the mound. Plays center field. Still kind of raw reading routes, but he, he's fast enough to make up for it. Again, he'd be a, a corner guy for the Braves, I'm assuming. Uh, he wouldn't. He would not beat out Waters or Pache in center field. But when you talk about the bat, he's got plus power already at 19, and there's a potential for a whole lot more because as it is right now, he still kind of he still gets really pull happy where he'll collapse his back leg, which is not shocking from an 18, 19 year old who likes to yak and hit them far. But when you look at Trey Fletcher, that is just an oozing amount of, of potential tools. Yeah, when he reclassified, it was it was kind of a big deal. And for teams that weren't already doing their homework on him, that that could really provide an advantage for somebody who was trying to scout him a year out. So whether or not he winds up, it, it's hard to even know 
where his range is because he entered the process so late in it. So he could be there at 60. He could still be there at the, at the Braves pick tomorrow at 98. So, but yeah, it's, if you want to gamble on tools, that's, that's a real guy to go after. All right. Two more real quick, because I've already gone over the top. So I, frankly, I don't care. I hope you guys are enjoying this episode as much as I am, but give me two more guys at 60. Uh, I'm going to go with, let's see. Um, I'm going to go with Reese Hines. who's a third baseman at IMG Academy. Same as, uh, same as Malone uh, that I mentioned before, if I'm not mistaken, coming into this draft cycle, Reese Hines was like a top 10, top 15 projection and has probably the, the most power of anybody, uh, any prep player in the draft. I mean, he's, he's got big, big, big power, but because of that, he's got a lot of questions about the, the hit tool. I think, Things are going to get kind of crazy tonight. I get the feeling that Hines is still going to be available. And I, I think that he could certainly be on the Braves radar right there. Uh, and also there's a guy named Sammy Siani. His brother Mike got drafted by the Reds last year. He's an outfield, uh, prep outfielder out of Pennsylvania. Very similar profile to his brother. Uh, very balanced. It's almost like Jared Kelnick light. And you know I love Jared <laughs> Kelnick. So uh, – the arm is the only question, so he's obviously going to wind up being uh, relegated to a corner no matter what. But the the field of hit is real, and on the composite that I did, it's Siani uh, is ranked number fifty five, and uh, excuse me, Hines is ranked number sixty one. So they're right, kind of in that range, and I think I think they could be available, and I think that they would be a great fit for this arm system. I think. I was wondering if you would go Sammy Siani. He's a guy that's had a lot of helium this season as well. Uh, cool name, by the way, Sammy Siani. Anytime you get the alliteration, it's always a good time. Um, yeah. Now, would you actually go out on a limb and predict a player at any one of those three spots? Absolutely not. <laughs> I, and that, that that's what is so amazing about the baseball draft is that even, you know, whether – like we all know that Zion Williamson is going number one in the NBA draft. We all knew that Kyler Murray was going to go high the year before. You know, we all knew that it was going to be uh, Mayfield and the year before that Garrett. We all, even people that don't pay attention to football know that. And even people that are in the innermost inner circles really don't know how things are going to go after the first couple picks. I mean, there's still rumblings that Adley Rushman isn't going to go number one in the draft is in a couple hours. So if you don't know one, it's hard to predict two. And if you know the farther you get from one, the harder it is to predict nine, twenty, and or twenty-one and sixty. So, man, these are all just somewhat educated guesses. I can't even guarantee that it's gonna that anybody that we mentioned. Like, I don't even know if I'd be surprised if the Braves drafted three guys that weren't mentioned on this show at all. <laughs> Neither so, would I. I would wonder also if uh, if they would give Zach Hess another shot as a guy they drafted last year who decided to go to – or a couple years ago, I'm sorry, went to um, LSU, I believe it was. Um, well, he, yeah, he was. I think he was a draft-eligible sophomore at LSU, and based on the Carter Stewart situation, he wound up going back. Yeah, and did not have a, a strong year. Thought he was going to be a good starter and really was not. Um, pretty right. much profiled 100% as a reliever. Uh, but outside of that, I, I have one more thing to talk about. Um, my last question, do you think the Braves are able to sign as many people in this draft class as they were last year? Because last year, honestly, I was shocked at how many members of that class they signed. It, it'll depend on how they lean. I think that they were towards the, the back of the draft, they were taking a lot of guys that, uh, like small college guys or some seniors. And it was kind of like, this is your best option and you know it. 
type of situation. And, and I think that that really played into that and helped them fill up some of the holes that had been generated in the farm system. And I think that if they go a similar route this year, then yeah, I, I could wind up seeing 37, 38 out of, out of the 40 different guys. But I tell you what, I don't think that they're going to play around with the top picks. I don't think that they're going to chance another Carter Stewart situation. I think whoever gets drafted today, is a slam dunk to sign. How about you? I would 100% agree. Speaking of Carter Stewart, by the way, arrived in Japan today as it looks like uh, it wasn't really a bluff, him signing with that Japanese team. Huh. Good for him. Uh, I hope he does well. We'll see how it turns out. He's locked into six years in a country that he most likely doesn't speak the language, um, but an interesting case study nonetheless. Well, I do have to go ahead and end this episode. It isn't an episode of TPS, so I can't go a full hour just talking about this with you, um, but thank you so much for coming on uh, and, and showing my listener base here on Locked on Braves that uh, I do know some smart people, and it's not just me constantly yelling at the wind. Hey, man, always glad to, to uh, come on and um, looking forward to doing the the longer form episode. Sorry, we wound up going probably double your normal episode <laughs> length. I mean, for, for us, that that's pretty good time. Thank you guys out there. Uh, you know where to follow. You know to subscribe. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. We will be back again tomorrow as Max Freed takes on Steven Brault in Pittsburgh against the Pirates. Thank you guys so much. We'll be back tomorrow here on Locked on Braves. Oh,